When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. And today's podcast, I am very, very excited. We're going to be talking about something that is incredibly topical at the moment and incredibly important. As you know, my focus is on mental health and helping people with mind management. And today specifically, we're going to focus on performance anxiety in sports and mental health and how we should be having more discussions about this. And joining me today, I have two incredible people, which I'm so excited to introduce. I have got Jordan Weber, an Olympic gold medalist. I have to read this, Jordan, because you're amazing and there's so much here to say about you. So first of all, Jordan, welcome. I'm so pleased that you are joining me today. And I'm just going to quickly read some highlights from your bio and then people can read your full bio in the show notes. So Jordan Weber is an Olympic gold medalist and head coach of the Arkansas Razorback Women's Gymnastics Team. She's a member of the Fierce Five United States squad that won team gold at the 2012 Olympics. Weber has a two-time U.S. all-round champion, 2011 and 2012, and the 2011 world all-round champion. Her illustrious elite career included three medals all-round and team gold, team beam bronze, at the 2011 World Championships, four U.S. senior national titles, all-round bars and floor in 2011 and all-round in 2012. Wow. And there's like a million more things. Incredible. She was a 2016 inductee into the Greater Lansing Sports Hall of Fame and is also a member of the USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame as a member of the 2012 U.S. Olympic team. Weber coached the Bruins on floor exercise, an event in which UCLA finished the 2018 and 2019 regular seasons ranked number one in the nation. I had to say that because two of my kids went to UCLA. And in 2019, Jordan was introduced as the head coach of the Arkansas Women's Gymnastics Program on Wednesday, April 24, 2019, making her the youngest NCAA head coach in history. Jordan, that's so impressive. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here today to share your expertise. And then Dr. Mike Gervais, who I know and who's interviewed me, and he's an amazing, amazing man and so interesting. He's a, a renowned expert in high-performance psychology, industry visionary, and co-founder of Compete to Create, a joint venture with Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll, which has built a framework to enhance high-performance cultures by focusing on mindset training. Gervais' clientele consists of the NFL Seattle Seahawks, Olympians and MVPs from every major sport, world record holders, internationally acclaimed artists and musicians, and corporate leaders. Gervais' clients have collectively won more than 30 Olympic medals. Dr. Gervais earned his PhD in psychology with a speciality in sports performance at San Diego University for Integrative Studies, where he studied under the father of American applied sports psychology, Dr. Bruce Ogilvy. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk to you again. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. Okay, so to launch this conversation, this no matter what sport you're in, the pressure of performing, or, or whether that's sport and you also work with music artists, Dr. Mike, the pressure of performing combined with the pre- and post-performance demands can cause so much anxiety. And when these demands on the mind, brain, and body, which are separate but work together, are not managed, they can increase to the point where pressure accumulates and explodes like a volcano. 
and an athlete's mental and physical performance can suffer. So I'd love to just start this conversation with you, Jordan. And from your perspective as a being an active gymnast, as well as now training gymnasts, can you talk about what it feels like from your perspective, the, the mental strain? I mean, we know there's the physical strain, but just tell us what it feels like, what you're concerned about, and the, the, open, the more open viewpoints that people now have towards recognizing the importance of dealing with mental health when it comes to sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can speak from my own experience just as an elite, a former elite athlete in a sport like gymnastics, which, you know, I might be a little bit biased, but I think gymnastics is one of the hardest sports in the world because it requires so many different pieces. It's like, you have to be flexible, you have to be strong, you have to be powerful, you have to be incredibly disciplined, both inside of the gym and outside of the gym. You have to sacrifice a lot of things that normal people don't have to sacrifice. And there's so many different factors that go into your success as an athlete. So, and I, and I can also say that, you know, being a nine-year-old gymnast watching the Olympics and deciding right then and there that I wanted to be an Olympian, um, you know, even for myself, I, I put a lot of pressure to reach that goal and become an Olympian all the way from nine years old. And so, um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's so interesting watching the Olympics now and kind of remembering back when I was 17 years old competing on that really big stage and, and really not even realizing in the moment, just how much pressure I was dealing with. You know, I could feel the pressure. I could feel the pressure from the outside world, the media, my coaches, the national team staff, I could feel all of those things, but I don't think I quite realized the extent of the pressure. You know, I realize it now just watching the Olympics and seeing people like Simone and the girls competing now, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of um, weight on your shoulders for a, for a young athlete, I do have to say. That is a lot of pressure. And what kind of support did you get through these years? Because nine is young and, you know, nine through and the years that you've been in this and that pressure is, is, is extremely real. What sort of support did you get through all the way through from, you know, track it for us from nine to the age yet now? For me, my, my major support system was probably my family and my parents, just because I was still a kid. I didn't feel like a kid. I was doing things that most adults can't even imagine doing a full-time job of being a, an athlete. So my, my family, my parents were a huge support system for me. And, you know, I, I, I had coaches that, that guided me and things like that, but I will say that my family were, and my parents were the people that kept me grounded, who always made sure I knew that if it became too much, I didn't have to do it. It, it always, they always wanted it to be my dream and my goals that was kind of my support system. And as, as I've gotten older and I'm retired from gymnastics, I, I realize even, even now it's more important to have a really strong support system and kind of a team of people. I wish back then I had had a bigger team of people, like a sports psychologist, you know, a, a mental health coach of some kind. I wish I had had a little bit more support along those lines, but you know, it, it's, it's always Interesting now as a coach, I'm able to, to notice those things and, and really equip my athletes with the right tools and the right resources that they might need to be able to handle those pressure moments. Excellent answer. And it's so great that you talk about the support as a family, but I'm very interested that you said something about you wish you'd had more mental health support and understanding the pressures. And as you so clearly described, as a young child, you were doing what most adults don't even dream of doing in terms of the discipline that's required, where you, the other kids are out playing and you actually working full-time job as a nine and 10-year-old, you don't have time for that. So it, what was missing 
in turn, what do you, what do, like you're now coaching, so you obviously know what was missing and I'm sure you're closing those gaps. What is needed for someone to cope with something like this, this kind of challenge and going full-time as a professional sports, into full-time professional sports? Yeah, I think one thing that I really could have benefited from was somebody like a sports psychologist, somebody to talk to that was separate from my family, separate from my coaches, because like I said, when I, when I was in the gym, it was intensity. It was, I had to perform every single turn that I took. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of, of weight for a 16, 17 year old young gymnast to handle. And at the same time, you know, in gymnastics, especially we're taught that emotions just get in the way and emotions are bad. Although we all have them and it's really healthy to have emotions. I think I didn't at the time have like a healthy outlet or really a place to be able to process some of my emotions and process some of the difficult situations that I was, I was dealing with as a young kid. So I think having a person to talk to and really to help me understand some of the things I was going through would have been a really great resource and tool. And I've been able to have people like that now that I've retired from the sport and, and surround myself with, with that type of support. But I, I wish that as a, as an athlete, I had had that. And now I make sure that our sports psychologist is really integrated with our team, both from a team standpoint and an individual standpoint for our athletes, because a lot of times that person that you need to talk to can't be your coach. And sometimes it can't be your mom or your dad. It needs to be someone who is not attached to your life that closely and but can help you kind of process through and understand things that are going on. I love that. It's very insightful because your parent needs to be your parent and your family needs to be your family and your coach needs to be your coach. And you need someone to help you deal with those emotional struggles. When you do what you love, like running, like racing, like enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com, Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. You mentioned about emotions. You were told emotions get in the way, but that's such a misinformation. Such misinformation and contributes to the buildup and the volcanic nature of, of thoughts because thoughts come from your mind, and your mind is how you think and feel and choose. And I always teach that mind is thinking, feeling, and choosing, and they never separate. So when you think, you feel. So you can never not feel. And the thinking and feeling contributes to every choice that you make. So if you suppress one third of what you actually what your mind is doing and your mind is 99% of who you are, that eventually will explode like a volcano. So volcanoes can, can brew for many years and then explode. And, and we see that happening now in, not even now, we've seen this happening for years, but it's just more spoken about now. And, and in the most recent situation with Simone and Naomi Osaka, and I mean, these are just two of many. There's so many kids. I have so many people that reach out to us with their children that are breaking down of all ages and, you know, then I've interviewed a lot of actors who've said similar things as well, like child actors of what's, what is happening with children where you are taken out of your childhood and not able to process and experience all these different things. So it's, it's very good we're having these conversations now. So thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Mike, if we can jump over to you now, and I'd love you just to comment on 
because you as an expert and a sports psychologist, just comment on, on some of the things that Jordan has, has statements that she's made and, and feel free to just like, listen, this is a conversation. So we're starting off with a couple of questions, but jump in and out, Jordan, if there's something you want to, you know, say more about. And Mike, as you're talking, if you want to direct questions to her, let's just have, make this an open conversation. But I'd love you to begin by just commenting on the need that the needs that Jordan has identified, have I, the needs that Jordan has identified. First, I'd be remiss to not say, Jordan, it's great to see you and you are a legend for reasons. And some of those reasons are exactly what you just shared, which is that, okay, I went through some stuff. It was hard. I did really well. And I missed some significant parts of my development that I wish I would have had. So I'm solving them for the kids that I'm teaching now. And that's what makes legends legends is that they learn iterate and they create a flywheel for success where it's different than they were before. And so Jordan, this is awesome to be on this show with you and have this conversation with you. And Caroline, to to answer your question more directly is that, so elite athletes have a condensed professionalism. So you and I reach our stride in our mid forties, maybe in the cognitive sciences, because they're complicated and visible and it requires complex information. It might be mid seventies where we're going to hit our stride, where we're really understanding the depth of our science. Jordan hit it at age, Jordan, what do you say? 17, 19, maybe in that range. And so there's this compression that takes place. So she had to sacrifice prom. Did you, did you go to your prom, Jordan? I did go to my prom. Oh, you did go to prom. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. So most, most miss prom. Yeah. You're, you're one of the rare There were some ones. non-negotiables for me, I will say. That was one of Yeah. So there's this compression that takes place where lots of things are missed, call it sacrifice, but it's a missing that takes place. And there, and also let's remember by the age of 25, you know, as some of the pseudoscience would suggest the prefrontal cortex is not fully online yet. So there's some, the brain is not fully developed that's until the kind of mid twenties. And as you well know, actually longer, (laughs) it's actually longer than what we realize. And then it just keeps on changing. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so, so then there's all of these social changes that are, I'm sorry, social sacrifices that are taking place as well as psychological development. So what ends up taking place for us is mid-career, if we want to change careers, that's happening at the age of 20 something for these young, extraordinary, talented athletes who don't have a full command of life experiences yet. So imagine not knowing how to really be present in any other environment other than the thing that you're great at. And then when that is taken away, the vacuum that's left. So when we're watching these extraordinaries, these, these talents, the Olympics right now, and I just got back from Tokyo working with USA Surfing, so I can share yes. some of those stories. But when we're, yes. watching, yet when we're watching them, what they're feeling, quote unquote, pressure. They are the best in the world at what they do. The pressure is not so much, can I do the thing? It's what happens if I can't do the thing. How about it, Jordan? Is that it? It's not, can, it's you know you can do it. You know you can do it, right? And so what happens if I don't do it? That's where the pressure comes from. And then I'll just oversimplify pressure. It's when I have a sensation that I can't, that I need to think or do faster than I might be capable of thinking and doing. And then there's a whole cascade that takes place of this constriction, this internal constriction. And that pressure is, as you, would, you both recognize, there's this relationship between your internal inventory, do I have what it takes, and the external demands 
And then the third variable are what are the consequences if it doesn't go well? And so that's this construct that's always taking place. What's my skills? What's the demand? What are the consequences? And when one of those kind of get too big, you know, and it feels like I, I don't either I don't have enough or the demands are too big or the consequences are too big, we create a constriction. And in the case of the twisties, what takes, takes place is that our brain is amazing. Our brain is a machine and it, I mean, it is amazing what it can do. And this predictive nature of it gets thrown off. And when you're in midair, Jordan, you can speak to this as an applied standpoint, from an applied standpoint, when you're in midair and the frames don't feel normal, the predictive model is off, that we lose our sense of space, we lose our sense of where we are in space, and it becomes in gymnastics quite dangerous. Mm, that's an excellent exp- explanation. Jordan, do you want to make any comments on what Mike has just said? Yeah, I mean, when you say the word twisties, every single gymnast in the entire world knows exactly what you mean. And that's because everybody has had it at some point or another. I very vividly remember having the twisties when I was 10 years old. And my coach asked me to do a front tuck, which is literally just a front flip with no twists. My body kept twisting. It was almost like I wasn't intending to twist, but I was twisting. And every time I would try to go, I would twist and I would twist and I would twist. And so it can be really. I don't want to say embarrassing, but for, I was an elite athlete at the time to not be able to feel like I can control my body and my brain and my body feels so disconnected. um, It's really scary. And then when you, you know, you look at Simone and she's doing, I was just doing a front tuck and I was in the safety of my gym with foam pits and spotting and soft mats. And she's out there competing in the Olympics. It becomes really physically dangerous, which is, I think, probably what triggered her to make the decision to pull out of the competition. It was really for her own safety, first and foremost. So I have a lot of respect for her for her decision, but it can be can be really difficult. I think I don't I don't know if people experience twisties in other sports. I, I bet Michael would know that more than I would, but gymnasts definitely know what you're talking about when you say that. Well, I think not everyone has. Thank you for that brilliant brilliant answer and yours too, Mike. Let's just talk about what the twisties are. For those of us that aren't gymnasts or who did gym in the in the most basic way at school, jumping over whatever, can you just explain what the twisties are? And if it, and Mike, can you say is, is do they does this occur in other sports too? That's actually a great question. Yeah, I'll start with that. Yes, we call it yips in other sport. We call it hesitation in action sports where you just can't quite do the thing. Twisties is something that the sport world is aware of, especially in gymnastics. And it is it does happen. And it's it's a very complicated brain loop that takes place. And it's it literally is not that different than maybe an OCD loop where you just can't quite make sense of why. I'm feeling this way, but it feels better when I do it, like this compulsion obsessive loop. It's not, it is not that, but it, it's not that different from it. And so when we're doing things like what Jordan would do and what Simone is doing that are consequential, physically consequential, it's a different ballgame. And so, so twisties are basically a loop that takes place where the brain is no longer familiar with the frames, the pictures that it it once was able to take in midair. So there's a predictive nature that takes place for people that are highly skilled and it feels automatic. And what happens during the twisties, it's no longer automatic. And then the thinking brain comes online. I know I'm simplifying something. Um, there's no real thinking brain, but the it goes from an automatic proprioceptive feeling when you're doing something to now I need to think. And then we've got this 
perfect storm of something that is very dangerous when you're trying to think and you're up in the air, you know, X number of feet and you're upside down and all discombobulated and trying to think your way through it. It's a very dangerous thing. And I love, I love that she is raising her hands and saying, Hey, my mental well-being and my physical well-being is at stake here. I'm not doing it. I think it's great. It is. It's incredible. We all take our hat off to her. We're so grateful because she's opening up a conversation that's needed to be had for a long time. I mean, if you consider only 3% of leaders are talking about mental health and all of you elite gymnasts and sports professionals are leaders in their field. And so we need to open the door to that conversation. Thank you, Mark. That was an excellent explanation. And if I can just pick up on the brain side there in terms of giving some little bit, a little bit more, if I can add on to that in terms of the non-conscious mind and the conscious mind. So as we're learning a skill, our mind is driving brain. So mind is separate from the brain and the mind is driving the brain. And so therefore, as you're learning a new skill, you're wiring that into the brain. So your mind takes it in, then your mind, your mind experiences it and processes it through thinking, feeling and choosing. And then that gets wired into the brain. And we literally build, you saw this when you interviewed me, Mike, I use my trees. Basically, you wire these into thoughts in your brain. So there's a product that is created and that product is the, the gymnastics move, et cetera. And then those become obviously very complicated, complex, et cetera. And then over, uh, that takes about, it takes about a cycle of 21 days to actually build a new, t- a new structure, new thought into the brain. And then it takes about at least another 60, another 42 days, another two cycles of 21 days to start stabilizing. And what that means, and we see from the neuroscience research, this is specifically my field, is that it then moves into the non-conscious mind. So we see what we call a gamma peak, which is a peak of, of learning where you start mastering the skill, but the skill isn't stabilized until it becomes a habit. And that takes at least another 42 days minimum. And then generally that takes you to a certain level of expertise and then you'll keep on repeating that 63-day cycle. So when it goes into the automatic or when it becomes automatized, it doesn't mean that it's not intelligent. It's the most intelligent state you can be in. So it goes into the non-conscious mind, which is the biggest part of us, and the conscious mind is the smallest part of us. And the conscious mind's only awake when you're awake. And then the non-conscious mind is the driving force. It's operating 24-7. So these are stabilized in the non-conscious mind and then drive the conscious mind. So the way I'm from, from that, that's how I understand this process. So if one's having the twisties, there's a disconnect between, because the, the, the non-conscious mind will then send, as you go into the particular consciously, deliberately, and intentionally go into whatever it is that you're performing, you then have to draw on this existing network and whether through the subconscious mind, but if there is any kind of emotional dysregulation occurring in the brain, it's like a tree falling in the road and the car can't get through. So this message doesn't fully get through, only part of it gets through. And therefore, the conscious mind is loses part of its instruction. And that's you get this disconnect that can happen. And as you said, the predictive nature of the brain, this creates healthy predictions. And then that's this, that's disrupted. So there's a whole neuroscience explanation behind that. But it's generally that block is not because you can't do it. It's because there's a block in hearing it. In, in Because the driving force of the non-conscious mind has now been blocked by the log in the road kind of concept. And that would come from the, from the anxiety and the pressure and ex- other stuff too. And that's something that I wanted to, to bring up in terms of mental health. We have the, what we've been discussing so far is the in the moment things that can happen. But as we know, we are a combination of everything. And, and uh, Jordan, you said this so well from nine years of, of age. And you were, you were basically involved in this world. And obviously before that, you were keen to, you were already showing the interest. So for years, you've been driven by that, but then we have life. So there's the goal of what you're doing and you're doing it and there's the in-the-moment pressure, but there's also you as a human and Simone as a human and Naomi Osaka as a human and every person as a human and we have our traumas. Trauma is part of life. 
big stuff, small stuff, etc. And those are, if we don't manage those and address those, eventually those are their own volcanoes ha- waiting to happen. And so I think, and, and I'd love your, both of your input on this from, from my standpoint as a mental health professional and looking at the psychoneurobiology of mental health, we have to be dealing with our traumas because we can't just shove them down. Eventually they are volcanic in nature. They are bubbling under the surface. They're going to explode volcanic mode. And you could be a great athlete, but you haven't dealt with these stuff or there's stuff going on in your life, these traumas that are being unmanaged and there's no outlet to manage them as what it sounds like there, you know, is, the, is so often the case. There's only time to practice. There's no time to deal with your stuff. That stuff eventually will catch you. And so I think that needs to be a huge part of what athletes are being given to help with performance anxiety. It's not just the in the moment, you've got to deal with that. But how do you deal with the past stuff that is impacting that potential break that can occur between the power of the non-conscious and then the, the, inner, the ability to kind of break down and not, not hear that message. If it's sort of blocked us the log in the road kind of thing. Okay, there's my five cents. So I hand over to the two of you to just talk, comment, share what you feel. Yeah, I think you're so spot on. I'm thinking about just my own life and my own gymnastics career. I, I don't know what you called it, Michael. Was it condensed professionalism? What did you so say? So good. Yeah, so... I think in gymnastics, we, we learn, and, and this is one of the issues in our sport is we learn just to suppress anything that, you know, takes us away from our goal or distracts us. And I remember really vividly, even throughout high school, if I was not feeling well one day or I was sick, like physically sick, I was definitely afraid of calling my coach and, and not going to practice and practice because to me, that one day felt so important. It felt like I was going to get off track if I missed this one day. And so there were so many moments like that, but it just, I shared that just to kind of paint the picture of how intense it is. And, you know, during that whole time, I don't remember ever really feeling like I I was a person separate from the fact that I was a gymnast. And I think that's something that I've had to to relearn. And I think that, you know, the, the COVID and the quarantine really helped a lot of elite athletes and athletes everywhere because they had to take a step back from sport and they had to take a little break. And I think that really refreshed a lot of people and allowed, allowed themselves to, to do other things and focus on something other than their, their main end goal of becoming an Olympian. I think that's, that was a really healthy for a lot of people, but I think that was the suppression of whatever, whether it be trauma or emotions or anything was, was one thing about my journey that I probably would like to go back and change or really change for, for other athletes. And, you know, like, like I said, having that person to talk to and process things with, with, I didn't really have that, that experience throughout my gymnastics career. There's a thing that's taking place for many athletes and it's happening right underneath the surface for them. And many coaches are not aware of it. And it's this thing that it's called identity foreclosure. So at a young age, especially in gymnastics, they, at some point they say, I'm a gymnast. So if we want to broaden it out you'd say, I'm an athlete or I'm a musician. And when you foreclose your identity, literally foreclose, meaning like, you know, there's a, it's not a good thing. Okay. So when you, yeah, like that's your it. Identity, you've, you've sealed it. Yeah. You've got, there's only one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've ruled out like punk rock and country music and all of the other kind of types of music, if you will, you've ruled them out. So when you foreclose on your identity, it actually is propellant to become good at something. And then if you foreclose it even more and you say, I'm a great gymnast. And then so you become even more narrow in your identity. 
it's a propellant to become great at something because you've chipped all in. Now, this is going to sound complicated because I haven't met a world's best that didn't chip in early, that didn't foreclose on their identity. Because to be world-leading, world-class, you know, it's a step down from that. But to be world-leading, there is a requirement to chip all in. And <laughs> this is... This is like, there's an old saying, and we're doing better now in elite sport. There's an old saying that true high performance begins where health ends. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. And, That's not good. <laughs> wow. That's hectic. It's awful. It's changing. I'd say probably the last 10 years, we've gotten better at it. And that's, it's, it, it makes my skin crawl thinking about it because I was part of that belief system, not in a maniacal way. Like I am a human-centric, human-first you know, I value the spiritual nature of, of the experience and the extraordinary commitment it takes to be, to explore the potential that humans hold within. And the cost is phenomenal. The dark side of becoming world leading, we're not ready to talk about Caroline. We're not ready, you know? And so we're seeing some of it, but really Naomi is very different than Simone. Simone is demonstrating in a different way her sense of agency. Naomi is still kind of, I think, and I don't know either of them, but Naomi, I think, is struggling in a different way. And so I don't want to get lost on that narrative, but I want to go back to this, the dark no, it's side. It's a good example because it is, it's a good, I'm glad you raised that because it is a good example because it's so, in, it's so topical at the moment. It stimulated everyone to question what's going on. Yeah. And I, but what we're seeing is this foreclosure, this identity foreclosure, rearing its head as you're calling a volcano experience. It's rearing its head. And once you foreclose, you have to, at some point, sort out who am I? Because I've only been an elite gymnast and that becomes a crisis. And for Jordan, I don't know if you had a crisis or not. You seem really healthy and wonderful and vibrant and giving back to the next generation. But if it was a crisis, you know, that's really the essence of the crisis. Who am I? And by the way, it's a crisis for many people. <laughs> you know, it just happens at a younger age for elite gymnasts and elite athletes. Brilliantly explained. That was both of you made incredibly important comments. And I want to just jump in on both of your comments and just kind of sort of wrap it into some neuroscience. That identity crisis issue is, as we know, it's a global issue. It's a human issue. And we can be so easily shaped by the world if we don't know our own shape. And from what you're saying, that's a major problem in professional sport and any kind of on-show type of industry that you're in where you've got an IP, you're limited in that box, but there's so much creative growth within a human that it should be part of, it shouldn't be the ultimate. So in, in our brains, when we have a healthy thought, it looks like these trees and Jordan, this is a toxic one. I know, I know Mark's seen my, my trees, but this is, this is literally what they look like in the brain. That's why I use them. And what are these? These are thoughts and these thoughts are made of memories and the memories are all of the, inside of this is, is the thought. So this could be, let's take a healthy one. This is, this is the thought of everything you had to learn to become a gymnast. So there'd be hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of branches in here. And each training experience would have been the roots and then your interpretation, your unique way you interpreted that. And this is what you'd be, have developed over the years and connected ones. And that's what you use to, to perform. So there's that, that development side, but that's not all who you are. So just taking that, this is not the only identity. This is just one part of your humanity. And that's where it becomes toxic. That if, as we get older, you can't do that anymore, or things change, or there's new athletes, whatever, all the challenges, the normal challenges of life will challenge this identity. And then that can shift into becoming toxic. 
So this would be a toxic identity where the shift has changed and now the manifestation is a reinterpretation of who you are. So there's a distortion and a dysregulation. So the healthy thought is actually there's still that healthy tree. You can never take away what you've, your skills you've gained, but the way you view yourself, you start viewing yourself differently. And especially as that whatever happens in your life. So that experience of how things change is the root system and then the interpretation is, is the branches. But this, these are in the brain. They're real. They're physical. They're made of proteins. These are made of proteins. These proteins are healthy and balanced and the chemicals all balanced and all that stuff. Here the proteins are distorted and misfolded and the, and, and these things cause brain damage, literally, and affect, can create those blocks, those trees in the road, can create these major identity crises where then people turn to all kinds of things to try and compensate. So this identity check sounds to me like it should be a major part of a sports psychology support to be able to deal with identity and understand these and, and deconstruct these because these can be deconstructed. Yeah, but here's the thing, and this is, Jordan, to your point, is that where's the time? Because there's a small window. There's a very small window to capture what is possible in a particular sport. The NFL, which I spent 10 years in, it stands for not for long. 2.6 years is the average tenure where they've spent, you know, 15, 20 years trying to get there. And so and then they there's lost a very for two to small six years. window. Wow. Yeah. And so there's a very small window in gymnastics. Is that right, Jordan? It is. I, I've always believed that. I think there are a few people who are definitely helping change that idea. But for the most part, yeah. I mean, once you hit 25, it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. So then it's a, it's complicated. I don't want to say that, that coaches are evil by any respects. Like I've learned so much from coaches, but it's very complicated because if you are going to ask the body to do something as complicated as what Jordan once did, you know, in a world leading way, and you want to have a healthy human, there's like some trade-offs in there that I feel for coaches in these time-bound sports, because to, to develop a healthy human takes time. And to develop the extraordinary talent takes time. And we only have 16 hours a day. And I think we're going to do better. So we are going to do better by, and I'll tell you how we're seeing it in elite sport right now. But boy, we're, we just didn't know how to do it 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, so how we're doing it now I haven't met a world-class athlete or coach that doesn't nod their head up and down to say the mental part of the game is important. Oh yeah. They all that's say gone. It. That's a gone. That's been for years. That's, that's been from day one. Yeah. They say it. And what used to happen, and this is probably where Jordan, your experience was, is like, it's important. Make sure you have it right. And then, but there wasn't a sports psychologist that was part of the DNA, which is now what you're doing. And so maybe sports psychology was extra and later. And that extra homework rarely gets done when an, an athlete is exhausted and their family commitments and whatever that needs to take place. So now what extraordinary programs are doing like Jordan's is they're wrapping sports psychology as one of the three legs of, of growth. So there's craft development, there's mental development, and there's physical development. And we wrap those together in the DNA of the culture. And they become in, in, in inextricably, what's the word? Inextricably, inextricably linked. linked, as opposed to like fragmented and extra. So Jordan is leading the way of what the next generation is going to radically benefit from. And she's doing it from her scars that she earned. And this is, this is how we do better. 
right? This is how we help other humans grow. And I am excited to see what programs like Jordan's are going to do for the humanness and the extraordinary talent to be expressed from that framework. And it's flipping the model on its head. And it's awesome. I love it. That's beautiful. So the three pillars are the craft, the the, the mental, what are the three? The, the actual so, craft, so we can train our craft, craft yeah. train our body, mm-hmm. and we can train our mind. Perfect. That's now, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Some might say spirit. You can train your spirit. I just well, the mind the and the spirit you can put into you can put in the same category because really they are they are the same category. So, and the mind right. is the driving force. So I love that, and I'm going to ask Jordan to comment on how you're doing it. But I'm going to make a quick comment in terms of of that because as you were talking and as I've been watching this whole thing going down, and as I my experience as a clinician and just the kind of I've had so many patients as well over the years that have been professional sports people or even not professional but just have cracked under the pressure of sport as one of literally became a trauma and dealing with all the issues and so on and even if you take it down to just let's just take the devil the playing field and take being a human is so hard that we should be teaching this concept at school from first grade where we should be teaching kids about processing the emotion and and you make a comment that you made a comment that there's no time there's 16 hours in the day but you're putting that model on its head because the mind is driving the body. And the work that I've done in, in my field is that we, I mean, we show that your mind management is everything that if you don't, if you're not managing your mind, you can be the best athlete in the world, but you are making a million new cells every second. And the quality of those cells is dependent on your mind. So if your mind is constantly being challenged by undealt with unsuppressed traumas, identities that have gone wrong, and they're not being deconstructed and reconstructed, those million new cells you make every second that eventually make up the body that does the craft is, are going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And because of the feedback loop between the psycho neurobiology, mind, brain, body link, the, the mind, the mental mess is creating the, men, the neurological mess, which is creating the genetic mess. And this whole thing then becomes a cycle. Cumulatively over time, people will break down. And we see that in, in, inevitably there's some kind of a breakdown in a professional sports person's, not everyone. And I'm, I can't generalize, but it's a very common issue. And you've, you've both mentioned that. So that, that thing should be. So, so I wanted my main comment I wanted to make is that. You can't put the body ahead of the mind because the mind is so prevalent that the difference between Jordan and every other gymnast is that between us three, let me use this example, and a dead person is our minds. So without our mind, you can't do anything. So we should put mind should be the priority. My opinion, my humble opinion in terms of a sports professional is that, that we should be putting our mind first and then body and then craft. Or mind, craft, body, whichever way around, that order doesn't have to be. It's, but mind is driving all of it. Messy mind and all the rest are going to suffer anyway. And that mental health component should be number one. So we shouldn't think, oh, I don't have time for my mind. That means you don't have time for 99% of who you are. And your mind never stops. It's active 24-7. You sleep with your mind. You wake up with your mind. You eat with your mind. You exercise. You do your gym. Everything is mind-driven. So that has to be a priority. Okay. J- Jordan, what would you like to say? Comments. I'm sure that we've stimulated lots of thoughts because you're the professional in the midst. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's so many things going through my mind, but I think what's happening in our sport of gymnastics right now, like, first of all, our sport has gone a really bad rep, especially like as things have been uncovered over the past few years with coaching, the use of doctor, all of yeah. these things are going on. And I think uh, at the root of it too, you know, the definition of what made a good coach has been someone who is really tough borderline abusive, if not abusive and, and all these other things. And so I think people thought that's how you made champions because that's how champions were made in the past, but didn't look ahead to see, you know, what, how did that affect the human being and 
and what, what were they left with after they retired from gymnastics? So I think, yeah, looking at elite gymnastics and club gymnastics, all of that is really slowly starting to shift and we're kind of redefining what makes a good coach. But when you talk about having a mental mess, a lot of times, you know, now I'm coaching college gymnastics. So a lot of times they show up to us with that mental mess a little bit, you know, they've either had borderline abusive verbally, emotionally coaches, and and most of them have been pushed through injuries, through injuries. And so that's how they show up to us their freshman year. And we, I personally have a very holistic coaching philosophy and it's, it's my belief that when we, it's like Michael's saying, when you focus on the mental and the physical and and the craft and all of those things, you know, with what we do here in our program, when we focus on the personal, the individual development of the athletes and getting them to come together as a unit and as a team and lifting each other up and having each other's backs and some of these elements that really have nothing to do with the actual skills and the gymnastics, their gymnastics gets better because they're a more healthy, empowered human being. And so while it's, it takes a little bit longer and it's a, it takes more time and investment for the coaches. It's not the easier way to coach. It's definitely a more rewarding way to coach because by the time they finish their four years in college, they are strong women who are confident, hopefully, and they go on and take those things they've learned into their careers. So I feel like that's, that's my job now, just learning from what I experienced and kind of seeing what we've seen in gymnastics for many, many years now. I feel like it's, we're dealing with a different phase of these athletes. They're in college now. They're not doing as hard of gymnastics, but we're able to focus a little more on things like the Enneagram and things like identifying your values and getting them connected with the sports psychologist and all these things that I find are super important. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's sorry, Mike, I, I, I'm going to give hand over to you in a second. I wanted to say well done, because that is really the most important. You've recognized the fundamental thing of being a human. And, and until that's addressed, we land up with the impact that we have seen. If we go back and look at the damage that has been done over the years for you know, not considering mind management. So you've brought those elements of mind management in, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And it's, it's radical. So well done. I, that's incredibly, incredibly impressive. Mike. Yeah, Jordan, ditto. And I know that it's not maybe cool to ask, you know, or to say, but I'll just I'll say it for you. Like you're young as a coach. And like, so I'm so excited to see what, like, you're already like leap years ahead of so many coaches that I've been, I've worked with. Like, I can't wait to see what the next three years looks like, you know, what, how you're going to lead as a coach, as just like you led as a world-class athlete. And, you know, in elite sport, I'd, I'd be on the sidelines or on the field or something prior to a game. And coaches would come up and they'd say things like, what do you think about the quarterback? Or what do you think about him or her, you know, right before the game? It's like, you know, it's the easiest question to answer because I answer it with another question, which is, well, what do you think of their framework? And then the coach goes, oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like their framework's not so good. Well, then what do you think? Like all this crazy pressure, like, you know, so the psychological base that we're talking about that to do, to, to explore the reaches of one's potential needs to be wide and strong. And we get a wide, strong psychological base, their framework is intact. Then this external pressure stuff becomes playful. It, it, there's a way that we can dissolve pressure, but we need this sturdy psychological foundation, which essentially is like, who are you? What do you value? And do you practice those values? And do you practice the psychological skills to be about those values 
when there's quote unquote pressure. And so, yeah, that, it's so good and it's wonderful. And, you know, I wish, I wish I had it too, Jordan, at a younger age. That's why I got in the field I'm in. Like, I wish I had it too. So anyways. Like many people these days, I've been struggling with uncertainty. What does the future hold? What will tomorrow look like? All these anxieties have made everyday activities like sleeping a challenge, which is why I've started using CBD to help support my mental health and brain detoxing. I have found that CBD is a great help with sleep and reduces pain, anxiety and inflammation. However, the CBD market has become extremely saturated over the last few years. It seems like now you can buy CBD in almost every coffee shop or grocery store. The only brand I trust is Ned when it comes to CBD products. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world using full-spectrum hemp oil products extracted from organically grown hemp plants. All the products that Ned offers are science-backed, nature-based solutions that provide an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Every night I use Ned's Sleep Blend, which contains CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep along with 750mg of CBD made from the world's purest single-source full-spectrum hemp oil, as well as organic and wild-crafted botanicals used in traditional medicine to foster rest. I also love their full-spectrum hemp oil, which helps de-stress my wellness routine with a single all-natural remedy for alleviating stress and anxiety. If you want to check out Ned and try their full-spectrum hemp oil or sleep blend for yourself, we have a special offer for the Cleaning Up the Mental Mess audience. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or enter Dr. Leaf at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order only or 20% off your first subscription order. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order. The link and details will be in the show notes. Well, I've been watching this field move for 38 years, going from not specifically in sports psychology in terms of mental health. And they, we, we've definitely gone from like, you know, the emotions, you know, that, that statement that used to be, I'm sure you've heard it said, oh, it's all in the mind as though this, it's almost derogatory. Meanwhile, it is all in the mind. It's the most accurate and true statement ever. And as a research in this field and watching this over the last 40 years, the mind is the most neglected element of humanity that we've in, in all the sciences, as far as I'm concerned. And I consider sport to be a science because it's extremely scientific knowledge to be able to do what you do and to be able to the whole thing so sports is a science and so therefore to to have this mind focus now really makes me super happy because this is an area that I've been researching and trying to convince people hey we've got to stop looking at the reductionistic approach to just physical which is only a small part of us it's driven by the mind we have to focus on the mind so really really amazing so I would love Jordan any comments on what we both just said I mean this is just such good stuff important stuff I don't think so. <laughs> so, okay. So what I'd like to do is just sort of have a, a, a kind of a round, one more round of discussion, just in terms of what does, I know we've spoken generally about mental health, but what does this mind priority look like in reality? And you've mentioned that having the, psycho, you know, having the sports psychologist. And so what, what does it look like? Do they spend a portion of their day? How does it translate into practical terms? And then, Mike, I'd love your input on, on as well from your experience. What did, what is needed to really make this change that's needed in sport to help people to deal with mental health and to level the playing field so that we don't see someone who's depressed as someone who's got a brain disease and they're crazy. That's not the issue. Depression's not an it. Depression is a warning signal that something's going on. 
So performance anxiety is a warning signal that something's going on and on, on multiple levels on the pressure of coping being in, in this arena and then also on traumas of the past that haven't been dealt with. So it's seen as a, as a signal. What do we, what, what does all this that we're discussing translate and look like into, into actual day to day programs? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of what we do here, and it's it's a little different because in elite gymnastics, there's a lot of focus on the individual. And it's really, it, I mean, for me, when I was competing, it was all about my own performance and the pressure was on me. Whereas when they shift to college gymnastics, it becomes a lot more team oriented and which makes gymnastics really interesting because still up there, the one having to do the routine as an individual, but it's all about, or it's all about the team score. And so a lot of it, especially when they come here, is kind of getting them out of that individual mindset and getting them into the team mindset, which is, it's a process with a lot of them, depending on how their parents spoke to them growing up or how their parents spoke to them growing up. But we, we focus a lot on, especially when we first come back in the fall for our preseason, we focus a lot on what, what our team's foundation is so that you know when, when things happen, when there's drama, when there's injuries, when, there's, when something goes on, you know, we don't have cracks in our foundation, or if there is a small crack, we can repair it. And so we focus a lot on, on our foundation as a team. And then, you know, if I, I always like the, the image of like a trampoline and a trampoline has all these threads that are kind of interconnected. And each person on the team is one of these threads of the trampoline. And so when one person is not living up to their, their values or the team's values, or is bringing drama or, isn't in a healthy place, then, you know, that thread of the trampoline is gone. And then the more threads we don't have that are connected, the weaker the team is. And we're going to see that when we go out on the competition floor. So while it's very good, we focus a lot on, you know, what do you individually need? How do you need to own your life and take care of the things you need to take care of to be a strong thread in the trampoline for the team, which is a whole different level of pressure, I think a pressure when it comes to elite athletes, like this is a whole different kind of pressure, but still a lot because you've got that logo on your, your shirt and your leotard and you're representing your university and your team. So it's, it's a lot of pressure and we recognize that, but you know, we just do everything we can to give them the, the resources and the tools to be able to be empowered, strong competitors and people in the world. And it looks a little different for every athlete because they have different backgrounds and they have different upbringings and Every single athlete is on a different journey. And one of my old mentors used to say, every, not every flower blossoms and blooms at the same time, but eventually. So that's a little bit of kind of what we do to focus on both the, t- the team and the individuals within that team. I love that. And is this, a, is this a daily routine as well? Is this built into the daily practice routine that there's mind focus as well as the physical training? It depends on the day, but I would say that, you know, when I'm addressing the team at the start of every practice, I mix in a lot of this stuff or, you know, especially when we're giving them an assignment at practice that day, we explain, you know, this is why we're doing this assignment. This is how it's going to help you be mentally ready for a competition when, you know, anything could happen. We try to explain the why behind what we do, which helps them buy in a lot more, but we do a lot of team meetings, a lot of meetings outside of the facility that have nothing to do with gymnastics that focus on vulnerability and, and values of the team and, and all this stuff. So it's kind of sprinkled in where we can, where we can fit it, but it's, it's definitely a year round process. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And this is exactly what you would have loved when you were training. Yeah, I think so. In some way, shape or form, I was, you know, I was more on that elite side where it was more individual based, but definitely having 
some of these, some of these words that I'd never heard before I was involved in college gymnastics and some of the, the ideas that I definitely think I could have benefited from understanding a little bit more when I was training. Oh, well, that's incredible. Well, I take my hat off to you for making this change because you're creating a new model, which is, which is, which is wonderful and so needed. As I said, only 3% of leaders are talking about mental health. So what you've done is you're basically leveling the playing field and normalizing because we're all a mess. We're all battling. We're all going, no one has got, got it all together. And, and, and that we need to recognize instead of thinking, oh, well, there's just this person who's going to break. All of us have the potential to break under without mind management and you providing the skills of that as well as developing the a goal that they have and, and a skill that they have in their body. So that's incredible. Thank you. Mike? We're all going through something. And so I wish that the program that Jordan's creating was available for me when I was a youngster. And I'll tell you what's happening now in elite sport that's progressive is that the most progressive coaches are answering the question, what percentage of the game is mental. And when they answer that question, whatever percentage they come up with, then the crisis is what amount of time am I going to allocate to that part of the growth? So if the question is, oh, it's 50% mental or it's 90% mental, somewhere in between there is what people say, well, what if I'm only going to offer 5% of my daily schedule towards that? We have a mismatch. And what's happening right now in elite sport and elite business is that they are recognizing that psychology and mental wellness are at the foundation. And it's not the extra, it's not the clinical psychologist, which is my training. It's not the clinical psychologist in a poorly lit room, you know, that has a, an old dusty couch. It's not that. It's woven into the fabric and the DNA. Every like Jordan every talked. day. Yeah. So at the top of every meeting, Jordan, here's something that I'm seeing happen often. At the top of every meeting, you're going to talk about how to develop the craft how to develop the body and how to develop the mind. And so you hit on those three and it can be bang, bang, bang. But like maybe for the next week of training, you say, okay, listen, this week is about training the mind. We're going to train confidence. So what I want us to focus on today is epic self-talk. Be the greatest self-talker you can imagine. Today, we're going to practice that in practice. And I'm going to talk about it tomorrow or at, we're going to do a quick debrief after practice. How did you speak to yourself? It's that mechanical. It's that simple. And then there's deeper work that can be done. But that's how we start integrating it as a foundation. This is actually now happening in business. One of the companies that we spend time with, they have 180,000 employees, and they are doing just that at the top of every one of their meetings. Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible, Mike. That's so insightful and so important. And, you know, just it, 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 it's so important. I, I work a lot in the educational sphere and corporate and across the board neuroscience and everything. I can tell you that this is just, it's every, what's happening in gymnastics is happening, Jordan, everywhere. And it's time for us to actually start really bringing, that's what be my life's work and obviously yours, Mike, is to try and bring mind into focus. I love the, the question, what percentage do you allocate to mind? And that will show a person's understanding of mind. You know, So they're saying 40, 30, 25%, we know they don't understand the power of mind. And that shows that there's a gap in that education. But that's so relevant because how they see mind is how they're going to see the training. And something both of you've said in terms of, of not training mind, I'm just sort of summarizing the sustainability is not going to be there. So yes, maybe if you drive the person the, the old way, just driving to achieve that goal, forget about the emotions because they get in the way, that's not sustainable. That breaks people eventually. And that's what you're saying. It's this compressed amount of time. But if you build in a sustainable pattern, you have a person who can then, like Jordan, you're now giving back to the next generation and you're changing a whole world of a, a whole world in and, and bringing in a whole new marketing. Same with you. I mean, a whole new way of seeing, of, of helping people. 
And so that's what you're doing as well, Mike. You, you're changing the whole sort of sphere of helping people to recognize the importance of mind. So I just wanted to thank both of you for your contribution to the field and to helping people to understand that mind really is everything. I mean, we can't change what's happened to us, but we can change what's in us. We can't, con- can't control events and circumstances, but we can control our responses. We can learn to mind manage it. And both of you have done that or, and are doing that in the most phenomenal way. So thank you for joining me today and getting into this extremely important topic. It's been so insightful and I'm very impressed by what both of you are doing and answers you've given. And I'd love to continue this conversation at another time again, because I think we've just touched the tip of the iceberg. I think we need to get back together in a few months and say, this is what's happened since our last conversation. It's going to be very exciting to to see the development. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.